You're about to listen to a true story told live because this is True Stories Live. Brought to you by LJ Hope Productions, Norwich Arts Centre and me, Molly Naylor. All of your, put all of your love into this final speaker. Um, it is Piers Harrison Reed. My name is Piers Harrison Reed. Nice to meet you all. Uh, I grew up um, in Sheffield, but also moved when I was just 10 down to a commune on the Suffolk Essex border. Um, first of all, before I start, if you're considering going to Shea Hargreaves' show, it's incredible. Please, please come, because it's one of the best shows I've seen in the last few years. It's really good. Um, I'll get back to my actual story, sorry. Um, so I moved when I was 10 years of age with my, my sister, who's in the audience, um, and my, my single mother, uh, from a, a semi-detached house in Sheffield down to this hippie commune on the Suffolk-Essex border called Old Hall. Um, and the hero of this story really could be uh, my mum. She's an incredible inspiration, has been throughout all my life. She uh, exudes this positive energy and this quiet dedication to everything she does. And she's, she's a nurse. I'm, I'm, an, I'm a nurse in A&E, um, but she's a nurse too. And I always think if I could ever be half the nurse she is, I would be a very, very happy man. Um, but she moved uh, after getting a PhD in nurse lecturing, so she's a doctor of nursing, um, away from her friends and family in Sheffield, uh, all the way down to what ended up being a, a lovely place, but this hippie commune um, where she knew nobody, and she didn't know she could use a PhD in nursing, and uh, the future could have been um, bright, could have been dark, but she moved specifically because the school directly across from where we lived was shit. <laughs> really bad. It's since been made into to houses because it was so bad. Um, and the area we lived in, though nice and multicultural, wasn't quite what she expected um, me and my sister, would the area we would thrive in. So she made a decision uh, on her own back as a single mother to, to move down to a place which uh, ended up being 72, 72 acres of, of paradise for a 10-year-old kid. I was running around climbing trees, there was, there was tree houses. Um, we own a lot of different crops and uh, animals. Um, and I, I was having a time of my life. But it was definitely a scary thing for my mom to go through. Has, have any of you ever been to a commune? Yeah? There's a few, that's, that's more than I was expecting. So you might think that as, as a guy called Piers Harrison Reed, which I, a name I fucking hate, that's one thing. If I had, if I had something I'd, I'd hold against my mum, it's my name. Um, <laughs> but you might think that if you go to a commune, you would never see anybody called Piers Harrison Reed. And uh, you, I should probably be called something like Flower Child, Star Banana, or something. <laughs> but actually, Piers Harrison Reed is exactly the kind of name you get in a commune. Um, everybody there has come from some kind of uh, upper class um, background. You know, they ran away from mummy and daddy who were very supportive and actually have a lot of cash to buy into a place like that. So I was very much in my element. Um, and it's an incredible place. But my mum my is not the hero of the story. I was a little bit lost in sixth form. I, I did quite well in school, um, but I got a little bit lost and disenfranchised with education. Um, and I made a point of trying to find out what I wanted to do before I went to university or wherever I wanted to go next. I started writing poetry, so I'm a performance poet as well, um, and I do poetry around nursing and around um, Norwich and growing up. 
And one of the people that really inspired me at the time is a guy called Buddy Wakefield. Any of you guys know Buddy Wakefield? So he's a performance poet who um, is an American. He was two-time World Slam champion, which if you know what that means, then that's, that's quite good. Um, and he's this yeah, American ball guy who's full of energy. He's nervous. He's, uh, 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 yeah. He speaks words that make me feel alive. And at the time, it was what I really needed to get me through a few years of really feeling like I was drifting. So because I grew up in this commune, um, and my mum has been such a positive influence of positivity and love, and she... Me and my mum don't communicate that much by like face-to-face. -face. Even though she only lives down the road, I'm not very good at going and seeing her. And she hates speaking on the phone. So we have a strange relationship where we email a lot. So she emails me like a nice article, and she'll say, oh, it's a nice article. I'll be like, oh, yeah, it is a nice article, mum. Um, but for whatever reason, that's passed on to me. So I email people much more, much longer form than just, oh, this is nice. Um, I, I try and make a point of telling people who, who I really care about that I really care about them, um, and people who've inspired me that they've inspired me. Um, whether that be in, in the A&E department I work in, I make a real point of trying to send testimonials to people who I think are incredible. Um, but also, I sent an email to Buddy Wakefield, because at the time, he meant so much to me that I felt like he should know how much of an effect he's had on my life. Um, and said, you need to tour in England, because he hadn't toured for about five years. Um, I don't usually expect a response, but he gave me a response back and asked, oh, well, if you've got, got anywhere I could perform, or know anywhere I could perform, um, then just, just tell me, because I'm, I'm trying to organize a, uh, a tour. So I'm in Buddy Wakefield's car. Uh, <laughs> I'm 17 years of, old, of age. I have never put on an event in my life. Um, and he's driving me back from where I saw him for the first time ever in London. And he put on this incredible show in, in this small venue in London. Um, and him and his driver on the, the English stage of his tour are talking in the front. And this is a guy who I, I've seen on videos with thousands and thousands of views on YouTube. And I've watched them again and again and memorized some of his pieces. And he's talking about the mundanities of the tour and uh, about life in general. And he's a guy who still seems larger than life. He puts on this affectation on stage like he's super nervous and kind of twitchy. And it's kind of, you don't know if he's really struggling or if it's just like superhuman and like raw. And he was exactly the same in the car, so I thought, oh, he's just kind of still keeping the, the energy going. Um, and I was trying to take notes because I was starting to perform poetry and I thought, this guy clearly knows what he's doing, so I definitely need to figure out what he's saying. They get back to my house. My mum was waiting and cooked him some food and set them up in one of our rooms. And then the next day, I took him around our 72-acre uh, paradise of, of, um, of uh, Old Hall. I introduced him to our different crops and our different animals. Uh, he, he saw our sheep. He was super, super stoked about the sheep. Um, he saw our cows. He was like, oh, there's a, we had a cool cow, which it, I called Sideface, because it kind of always looked like it was snarling, but like in a sassy way, like it was going to give you some back chat. Um, and he loves side, loves Sideface. Um, and uh, I introduced him to, to our chickens. Now, Buddy Wakefield loves chickens, right? <laughs> that guy is obsessed with chickens. Um, I didn't know this, but he... he he actually has uh, created a, a very well-made magazine called Hen House. <laughs> you, guys, you guys know Penthouse? With the, it's, it's, like, it's like a sophisticated lads, lads mag for somebody who wants to see boobs, but wants to pretend they don't want to see boobs. It's kind of a strange thing. But yeah, so he made Hen House entirely about hens, <laughs> where you have a centerfold of a hen with a little bio he's written 
about the hen, has given the hen a name. Um, and it's super like, oh, this wonderful plumage. She struts around. It's like, it's, it's, um, and it also, it gives you some real like facts about how to take care of coops and chickens and stuff. But you don't care, right? It's the centerfolds you get there for. Everybody's there for the centerfolds. <laughs> so Buddy Whitfield is, is obsessed with chickens. So I took him into our, our chicken, chicken uh, hutch, and um, he started talking about how the chickens were interacting to me and Lee, his driver. Um, and how the, oh, the, the, the cock's strutting around like this and this. And he became more and more talking just to the chickens like they're human beings. Um, and he was there for about 45 minutes, just one-on-one -on -one with these chickens. Um, and I, still a 17-year-old, still idolizing this guy, um, became more and more aware that a lot of the people we put up on pedestals are not necessarily the people we expect them to be, even if what they're pushing forward into the world is completely true. We kind of assume that they've got their shit together a bit more than they have. Um, and he, in that moment, was like human on, on a level that I don't think you can... I, don't, I, I, I think when we speak to each other, we sometimes put up these barriers and pretend we're something else. When he was speaking to those chickens, he was completely honest. <laughs> completely honest. The most honest I've ever seen anybody. Um, anyway, sorry. That's, that's only one part of the story. So I set up this event for Buddy Wakefield in my house. And in the commune, we have a chapel, which we put on events in. Um, and it's got this huge mural of, of Jesus and Mary. Um, none of us are religious, but it, it used to be a nunnery. And I spent part of the day hanging up this huge green um, kind of gramophone horn um, over the stage to, to make it all look nice. And uh, we usually use this room as for badminton, because we're all posh. Um, <laughs> the, the badminton net has been moved. We've set up all these chairs, and we're waiting for Buddy Wakefield to, to get ready and perform. Um, I, I dragged him away from the chickens eventually. So, I'm still 17. I've set up this event um, off my own back. I say off my own back. My mom did a lot. She did a lot. Um, but off my own back. And I've opened up, I'm opening up for Buddy Wakefield. Um, and a few of my friends do a few pieces as well. And it finally comes around to Buddy Wakefield coming up on stage and doing his set. Um, if none of, none of you have seen Buddy Wakefield, he is a ball of energy. He is nervous. He twitches. He says words, like I said, he says words that make me feel genuinely alive while I'm watching them. And I was at the back. I was walking around taking pictures and trying to take it all in, making sure everybody was all right. And there was about 80 other people there. And throughout his set, he had people eating out of the palm of his hand. He was in his element. He was kicking ass. It was everything I could ever imagine. Um, and near the end of his set, he became more and more uh, emotional and started uh, welling up himself. Uh, and at the end of his set, he thanked me. I was standing at the back. He looked me in the eyes and thanked me directly um, and thanked everybody there. And there's not many times in my life where I've realized this was a seriously um, formative moment, um, but that was one of those times. And I realized we're all making it up as we go along. We're, we're all just, just stumbling through life. And even though there's people like Buddy who I had put up on this pedestal, he was an emotional wreck. <laughs> he was struggling. I think if you're on tour as a poet, you're gonna have good and bad gigs, but he said afterwards that he'd had a really, he'd had a run of really bad gigs where very few people had attended, and he felt like he was just, he was um, stumbling through life in a very negative way, and he felt truly like he'd found a place to be at home, the other side of the world. And I think he sold all his merch that night. He was there, but he was loving it. Um, but I, I realized that a lot of the time, the people we put up on pedestals are struggling so much, and we're all vulnerable and fragile and that that's fine.
So Buddy Wakefield and Lee, they drive off to the next, next set. Um, I can't remember where they were going next, but I remember one salient point. My, uh, we had a working bar, and my mum was on the bar, um, and, and my sister was here, and my cousin was working as well. Um, a real family event. And uh, I remember my mum framed against this huge green gramophone that we'd hung up and framed against the Jesus and Mary mural at the back. We were collecting up bottles into bin bags and stacking up shares. And I think it kind of made me realize the people who were heroic um, aren't real. But there was one moment where I saw my mom and realized that the people we forget to tell they're incredible are the people who do it with quiet dedication. So I'll probably send my mom an email tonight. <laughs> Thank you very much. Here's Harrison Reed! True Stories Live is a story show and story finding project brought to you by LJ Hope Productions, Norwich Arts Centre and me, Molly Naylor. For more information about all of the work that we do, head to our website truestorieslive.co.uk.